When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Who here hates having to get blood drawn? Maybe you get faint at the sight of that much blood being drained from you, vials and vials worth. Maybe you feel woozy at the end of it and just have to sit down with a juice box and a cookie until you feel well enough to drive home. Well, Theranos is here to save the day. With just a few nanotainers, only half an inch long, you can have a blood panel that'll tell you everything you need to know about your health. At least that was the idea of Theranos anyway. Their technology simply wasn't there yet, but Elizabeth Holmes, who like Billy McFarland and Anna Delvey, lived life by the model, fake it till you make it, and convinced the world the future had arrived and Theranos possessed this technology that seemed to make something out of a science fiction movie. However, like other grifters that have come before her, this led to disaster, which was made all the worse by the fact that Theranos was dealing with medicine. So hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Multi-Level Mondays. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about the Theranos scam and its founder, Elizabeth Holmes. I'm so happy that this case is finally wrapped up, so now I can finally talk about it. I was waiting for the end of the trial to see what the conclusion of it was all going to be, and now that that's been had, now we can spill all the tea. So let's get into it. I think the promise of technology is that we can make access to basic infrastructure and available to people who are the most in need in the same way that cell phones have leapfrogged over the lack of landlines in so many places. And I think the... Elizabeth Holmes was born on February 3rd, 1984 in Washington, DC. Her mom was a committee staffer and her dad worked for Enron before moving on to government agencies like USAID. Some sources even state that her father was actually a former vice president of Enron, which would mean that he likely knew about the company being a fraud. Enron was an entirely separate episode, but it seems worth mentioning that Elizabeth and her father both may have been in the family business of scamming people. But moving on. As a kid, Elizabeth moved to Houston with her family and from a young age, she told relatives she wanted to be a billionaire when she grew up and even tried to invent her own time machine. She was said to have intense competitive streaks and even ran directly through a screen door if she was losing at Monopoly with her brother and cousin, which don't really know how that helps with competition, but go off, I guess. As Holmes later stated in an interview with The New Yorker, she grew up with stories about greatness and about people deciding not to spend their lives on something purposeful and what matters to them when they make that choice, the impact on character and quality of life. She also claimed that she always wanted to discover something new that mankind couldn't do. With her excellent grades, Holmes could go into just about any field she wanted after high school and chose the medical field until she learned she had a massive fear of needles, that is. Instead, she went into chemical engineering at Stanford University. Since she spoke Mandarin, she even got an internship at the Genome Institute in Singapore. Things continued to look up for her. And as a sophomore, she told her professor, Channing Robertson, that she wanted to start a company, Real-Time Cures. Holmes created the company in 2003 and dropped out of Stanford in 2004 to pursue it further. She even had her professor's full support in doing so. Robertson, an expert in the transfer of chemicals across biological boundaries was a fantastic boon to her team. 
In the past, he provided expert testimony in a case against Dalkin Shield, an IUD that had been designed in a way that caused 18 deaths, 66,000 miscarriages, and untold numbers of infections and infertility. In part because of Robertson's testimony, Dalkin Shield was ordered to pay over $450 million in settlement and legal costs before going out of business. Who doesn't want their own professor and a known advocate for safety and medical devices on their team for a new medical device, right? So as Real-Time Cures changed its name to Theranos and Robertson became an active director, it looked like yet another sure thing, a revolutionary company with professionals and brilliant young minds behind it. Stanford's website reported, Theranos is in the biomedical diagnostics arena, Robertson says. And I think if we're successful, we have the opportunity to change healthcare delivery as we know it. Robertson caps that with a phrase opposite for a man who's accomplished so much and yet remains excited for what's still to come. Stay tuned. But what was Theranos exactly? Well, to simplify here, it was a consumer healthcare technology startup that was supposed to, and I quote, revolutionize the blood testing industry. Holmes's fear of needles was said to actually play a part in the company's development as rather than get vials and vials of blood drawn for a blood test, Theranos allows users to prick their fingers and fill up a little nano container, but get the same results. Not only was this supposed to be quicker and cheaper, but Elizabeth presented this as a basic human right people aren't aware of. In advertisements, she claimed that every person should have the ability to get this type of test because they have a right to know this information about themselves. And because quicker and more accessible testing can detect the early onset of certain health conditions, it was all the more important that people get this information and get it conveniently. As there are various steps to the commonly used blood testing method that can affect results, Theranos was supposed to streamline the process. Holmes claimed that not only could her machines run 40 different tests on a tiny sample of blood, but that with a finger pricking method instead of a needle, she believed people would be more likely to get their blood tested. Not only would this make things easier at the doctor's office, but people could even have these machines in their homes one day. The machines running these tests were called Edison machines, named after inventor Thomas Edison himself. Edison once once quoted as saying that he hadn't failed, he just found 10,000 ways that it didn't work. As Holmes once stated, we codenamed our product the Edison because we assumed we'd had to fail 10,000 times to get it to work the 10,001st. And we did. The Edison machine would perform immunoassays to look for the presence of an antibody or antigen in blood or fluid. An archived page of the Theranos website reads, you wouldn't go to a grocery store that didn't have price tags. Why should getting a blood test be any different? At Theranos, our prices are always online and available. They are a fraction of other labs. And if you have insurance, they are often less than the copay. It's all part of making lab testing as accessible as possible. Their menu offered an albumin test for about $3, an amphetamine test for just under $10, an anemia test assessment for $27, a barbiturates test for $10, basic health ranging from $41 to $54, a calcium test for $3.50, the list goes on and on. Although the cost of a blood test is vastly different depending on where you go, what you need done, and if you have insurance, generally speaking, it can cost between $50 to $1,000 in the United States. It's often not cheap and it's a health necessity. I mean, interjecting here for a moment, that's why, that's one of the reasons why I'm holding off on getting some testing done um, for some, and I need blood work to get some tests done to see if I have this, um, I guess it's a genetic condition thing, but I'm kind of afraid to get it done is number one, because I don't want to know really if I have it. But the other thing too, is that it costs a lot of money to get the blood panels done. And every time you go get your blood drawn, it's 
like I just never have a pleasant experience. So it's just, I'm not excited. It's not fun to do. And the results may be shit. So I'm like, eh. But anyway, because of this kind of behavior from myself and many other people, it's no wonder why Theranos looked so promising and so revolutionary. Holmes was seemingly changing medicine as we knew it, and people didn't just believe in her product, but they began investing in it too. To talk to game-changing privately held companies that are leading the way in their particular industries. Which brings me to Theranos. This is a revolutionary company that threatens to change healthcare the same way that Amazon changed retail, or Intel and Microsoft changed computing, or Apple, yes, changed the cell phone. It could be that huge. And you might be checking it out yourself at a Walgreens near you, as the gigantic worldwide drugstore chain has adopted Theranos' solutions. Could this be the future of preventive medicine? Let's take a closer look with Elizabeth Holmes. She's the founder and CEO of Theranos, who also happens to be the youngest self-made female billionaire in America. Ms. Holmes, welcome to Man Money. Thank you, it's great to be here. Thank you. By 2004, Theranos raised $6.9 million in capital and Theranos itself was valued at $30 million. In 2007, after raising another $43 million, that valuation skyrocketed to $197 million. Just three years later in 2010, Theranos hit a monumental valuation of over $1 billion. Not only did they manage to reach a 10-figure valuation in just six years, but they also began adding some impressive people to their board. Former US Secretary of State George Shultz, retired Marine Corps General Jim Mattis, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, attorney David Boys, and former Wells Fargo Chief Executive Richard Kovacek all eventually joined Theranos. Holmes's partner, Ramesh Sunny Balwani, also became the number two executive in 2009, though Holmes didn't widely disclose their relationship status. According to the New York Times, little is actually known about Ramesh. Apparently he was president of a startup called commercialbid.com, which later became Commerce One, then subsequently crashed in 2004. But of course, not before he left with a reported $40 million out of it. Holmes's investors, on the other hand, were well-known and more than happy to throw their millions at her with this incredible new technology. The wealthy heirs of Amway, Walmart, Cox Communications, and powerful tech and media moguls such as Larry Ellison and Rupert Murdoch were all part of the $945 million that Holmes raised over that time period. In 2012, they even received a DOD contract with the US Army to develop field-stable blood testing technology, though more on that in a little bit. For a while, their investment really seemed to pay off. In 2013, Theranos got a massive partnership deal with Walgreens Boots Alliance Inc. Pharmacies and started offering blood tests to the public in Arizona and California. The mayor of Phoenix, Arizona, Greg Stanton, was quoted as saying, Walgreens and Theranos' partnership can have a real impact on the health and well-being of the people of Phoenix. I'm proud that Phoenix was chosen for the first broad implementation of a revolutionary lab testing program that makes diagnosis of illness fast, inexpensive, and convenient. It reflects the success of our decade-long investment in the bioscience and healthcare industries. Holmes said that in the long-term, her goal was to provide Theranos services within five miles of virtually every American home. She made the point that the modern clinical lab hadn't evolved in over 50 years, despite blood testing accounting for 70 to 80% of clinical decisions by physicians. The Wall Street Journal reported in 2013 that Holmes also promised more accurate results with her tests as they remove the human error of lab specimens sitting out for too long or if a tech mistakenly processes them and things of that nature. One year later in 2014, the media continued to sing her praises, mostly. One New Yorker article entitled Blood Simpler said that with her black suit and cotton black turtleneck, Holmes was reminiscent of Steve Jobs. She'd been recently named the youngest self-made female billionaire in the world, and the CEO and president of the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Jalosem Cosgrove, told the article's author that Theranos was potentially a breakthrough company. 
It represents a major change in how we deliver healthcare, he stated. Ledsimpler also compared these blood testing costs to DNA tests and how DNA testing had become so accessible in recent years that consumers can simply order a 23andMe DNA kit if they want their results. Decades ago, that too probably sounded like something from a science fiction novel. However, as molecular biologist and former associate director at the FDA, Lakshman Ramamurthy pointed out, Theranos' blood tests are more consequential than a consumer product. Though you might use your 23andMe results to connect with a long lost cousin, your physician won't be ordering a DNA test for an important, potentially life-changing diagnosis. That's why as revolutionary as Theranos seemed, skeptics were concerned about how secretive Theranos was about their technology. They published little data in any peer-reviewed journals describing how their devices work or the quality of their results. So how could anyone be sure that this technology was genuinely ready to replace what we already have? Maybe one could argue at the time that this was so no one could steal their developing technology, but so long as they had patents, it didn't seem to make sense why Theranos didn't back up their claims. One vocal skeptic at the time was also Theranos' competition. Nigel Clark, Quest Diagnostics' senior scientific director, said that though the amount of blood needed for tests had been reduced greatly in the past decade, from two vials to one-fifth of a vial, he claimed that finger stick blood tests are not reliable for clinical diagnostic tests. He claimed that if blood is not drawn from a vein, a sample can be contaminated by lanced capillaries or damaged tissue. Holmes argued against this and said she had data showing a perfect correlation between a finger stick and a venipuncture. However, when the New Yorker author received clinical tests that proved this, it was conducted by a combination of Theranos and external labs, and Theranos would not disclose which external labs were used. Though this article made mention of members of the medical community being wary of Theranos' test, it didn't call Holmes a liar. It just raised a few valid concerns. Instead, the accusations were not hurled at Theranos until one year later in 2015. In July, 2015, the FDA cleared Theranos to use the nanotainers for herpes simplex one virus, its very first approval for a diagnostic test. That same month, they were chosen by Capital Blue Cross, a Pennsylvania insurer with 725,000 customers to be their preferred lab worker. Theranos even successfully lobbied for laws to be passed in Arizona that allowed for patients to get tests without a doctor's order, opening up their client base and creating further accessibility for diagnostic information to all. You have a fundamental right to access information about your own health, sources stated at the time. Theranos wasn't just about changing the way blood was drawn, but the way blood tests are conducted in the first place. Their valuation hit $10 billion. The future seemed promising. And then in October, it all came crashing down. Skepticism turned to downright disgust when the Wall Street Journal ran an expose revealing the truth. Theranos was a fraud. Author John Carreru pointed out multiple inconsistencies within the company itself some of which suggested that Theranos was actually breaking FDA rules. A former senior employee stated that only a small fraction of Theranos' tests were even conducted on Edison machines to begin with, and the majority of their tests were actually on competitors' equipment. The Wall Street Journal article even said that Theranos' own lawyer didn't deny this, and that he claimed the transition to do every test with the Edison was a journey. The lawyer, David Boyes, said that he would eventually be able to conduct the full range of tests on the Edison, but the fact that Theranos hadn't been doing this was already a shock. The late biochemist Ian Gibbons was also hired as a member of the Theranos advisory board. When his widow spoke with Wall Street Journal, she claimed that her husband said nothing was working when referring to Theranos technology. An insider from Theranos sent emails to Wall Street Journal, accusing Theranos of even manipulating their proficiency testing results. 
How a proficiency test works is that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services will send lab samples several times a year and require that they report back the results. If said results are close to the average of those in a peer group, they receive a passing grade. Theranos actually split some of the samples they received into two pieces in early 2014 and tested one with the Edison machines and the other with the equipment they got from their competition. There was a gap in the data, suggesting that the Edison data was off. However, when senior lab employees showed the president and Holmes's romantic partner, Sonny Balwani, he said that the samples were, quote, should never have been run on Edison's to begin with, end quote, and ordered lab personnel to only report the results from instruments bought using other companies. Balwani also copied Holmes in his email to the staff where he wrote, I am extremely irritated and frustrated by folks with no legal background taking legal positions and interpretations on these matters. This must stop. Balwani, Holmes, and lab officials knew that the Edison machines didn't have accurate information, yet they sent along data achieved from the competitor's equipment, passing it off as their own. Some sources claim that not only were the Edisons inaccurate, but they would fall apart, the doors wouldn't close, and the device couldn't even properly regulate its own temperature. By the end of 2014, Theranos had apparently done less than 10% of their tests on their own machines, including ones for cancer and pregnancy. The Wall Street Journal published the test results of one Arizona woman, showing that her Theranos results were abnormally high for six separate tests. However, at the hospital, they reported that everything was within normal range. Theranos responded by saying that variation across labs is commonplace and can be caused by medicines and diet. While some variations may be expected, these were widely different results that could have been caused by their faulty laboratory practices. As you may imagine, considering that Theranos only had a pinprick of blood to work with and their machines were not working, they didn't actually have enough blood to actually run these tests. Rather than go back to the drawing board, Theranos increased blood volume by diluting the blood. Anytime you dilute a sample, you're adulterating the sample and changing it in some fashion, and that introduces more potential for error, says Timothy R. Hamill, vice chairman of the University of California, San Francisco's Department of Laboratory Medicine. Using dilution frequently is poor laboratory practice. And opinion here, because I know very little about the ins and outs of medicine, but this sounds like blood testing 101, don't dilute a sample. This seems to prove that Theranos didn't work on a fundamental level. Their machines were not operable. The pinprick has the potential to be less pure since it's not even from a vein, and there's such a small sample size that they had to dilute the blood they were given. So this leaves the question that what did work at this company? And very shocking answer that I'm certain you could not guess, but the answer is nothing. We'll get to that though. While Holmes can say some variation is normal all she wants, one former employee alleges that some of the potassium results from their machines were so high that patients would have to be dead for the results to be correct. A nurse at Walgreens claimed that she saw abnormal results in potassium and thyroid tests as well. She even asked the lab director at Theranos for data to prove that these results were as accurate as blood drawn from a vein, but was never given that. Another doctor from Phoenix, Dr. Betts, claimed that Theranos reported one of his patient's potassium levels as being close to a critical threshold. Three days later, a separate lab said that the patient's results were normal. Another patient just so happened to be an Apple Inc. executive, Jean-Louis Gasset, who they claimed that they were large discrepancies between Theranos lab results and the ones he received from Stanford Hospital. When confronted about how Theranos did not follow up with his email request, Holmes claimed that she wished he contacted their call center. He told the Wall Street Journal. For a healthcare company, pretending not to have received a documented email message from a patient with serious health issues is simply unacceptable, adding that Theranos hasn't followed up with him about his test results. 
Ms. King, Theranos' general counsel, said that it is misleading to draw conclusions from a handful of patient anecdotes, but the Wall Street Journal reported that about a dozen doctors and nurses complained about test results from late 2013 to 2014. Concerns turned to suspicions, and about a week after the article's release, Holmes said that Theranos was in a pause period as it sought technology approval from the FDA. In fact, not only did the FDA say that Theranos needed to apply for approval for their nanotainers, but they seemed to raise questions about how Theranos handled complaints and possible technical failures. While Theranos listed their nanotainers as a class one exempt device, the FDA said they could be a class two medical device, meaning it needs FDA approval to be shipped across state lines. In late 2015, Forbes reported, "'You are currently shipping this uncleared medical device in interstate commerce,' the FDA document says, between California, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. The document also says complaints were not reviewed, evaluated, and investigated where necessary." In a second document, the FDA criticizes Theranos for not clearly describing its processes in writing. Design validation did not ensure the device conforms to define user needs and intended uses, the form says. Once promising partnerships such as Theranos and Safeway dissolved, their $350 million deal crashed and burned, and even Walgreens said they would not open any new Theranos blood testing centers until Theranos resolved the questions about their technology. However, Theranos couldn't come up with a good explanation because the truth was that they were never what they appeared to be, and the facade had just begun to crumble. And so before we jump into the downfall, the whistleblowers, and ultimately the trial and the results of that trial, let's go ahead and take a quick pause to thank today's sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. I love that I can get basically everything online, but it's sometimes difficult to keep track of promotional codes, even when I've sacrificed my email address to the savings gods. But now I have Honey to help find them for me. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best ones to your cart. I've been in the middle of moving. And so obviously I've been looking online at furniture stores and stuff like that. And I didn't know that Honey even worked with Wayfair, which was pretty cool. So uh, props to Honey for saving me some money on a new living room chair. And now Honey doesn't just work on your desktop, but it works on your iPhone too. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save it on the go. So if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on amazing savings. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. And I'd never recommend something that I don't use. And I've been using Honey for years at this point. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com MLM. That's joinhoney.com MLM. New year, new food. It's time for changing habits. And whether you're saving money with less takeout, learning how to cook, or just getting healthy, HelloFresh can help you with all of that and more. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week. So you get convenience without skimping on quality. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every single week, including veggie, calorie smart, family friendly, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. And they've got some amazing options like white cheddar Wonder Burgers or even quick little paninis or flatbread pizzas too. I love how easy it is to pick what I want to eat, when I want it delivered, and to choose my menu weeks in advance. It helps my very, very planned and hyper-organized mind to stay happy and entertained with my food. So if you wanna get started on your food journey this year, make sure you go to hellofresh.com slash MLM16 and use code MLM16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. 
Again, that's up to 16 free meals and three free gifts at hellofresh.com slash MLM16 with code MLM16. I believe the individual is the answer to the challenges of healthcare, but we can't engage the individual in changing outcomes unless individuals have access to the information. Former Theranos employee and key whistleblower Erica Shung worked as a lab assistant at Theranos from 2013 to 2014 for about six months in total. She'd been very excited to work there initially before she realized just how inadequate the technology at Theranos was. Sometime later in 2015, she sent a letter to CMS prompting a surprise inspection. This didn't go so well for Theranos. Shortly afterwards, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, sent Theranos a letter saying that their lab failed to comply with federal standards. Not only this, but they said that patients were in immediate jeopardy and that the lab had just 10 days to shape up and get themselves together. Since Theranos never seemed to have their lab compliant with standards in the first place, this just wasn't possible for them. Holmes tried to defend Theranos at first, stating that CMS banning them was a worst case scenario. The company was restructuring, it seemed, swapping out executives, including Sonny Balwani himself. However, the attempts at damage control were futile. In July, 2016, CMS banned Holmes from running a blood testing lab for two years. The CMS letter that month stated that they did not take appropriate action into correcting these issues. CMS was imposing sanctions on Theranos. They revoked the lab's CLIA, Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendment Certificate, ordered a civil money penalty, canceled their approval to receive Medicare and Medicaid payments, and more. In addition, CMS stated that Theranos provided them with five flash drives about their patient records. Not only were these seemingly disorganized and difficult to search through, but CMS claimed that they couldn't determine whether the laboratory provided documented evidence showing what corrective actions were taken for all patients found to have had been affected by the deficient practice. In other words, it was bad enough that patients were receiving false medical information, but Theranos didn't even seem to make an attempt to remedy the situation either. Yet in spite of the sanctions, the ban, and then losing Walgreens as a partner, Theranos still seemed to downplay these massive allegations coming their way. They stated in July, 2016 that quote, as of now, we have not been made aware by CMS physicians or patients of any harm to patient health resulting from our tests. A professor at Ross School of Business, Eric Gordon, said it was possible that Holmes's ban could be a blessing to Theranos and that the company could continue on without her, cooperate with these regulators, and at least avoid going bankrupt. It soon became pretty clear that not only was Theranos going under, but nearly everything they'd done from the start was, in essence, invalidated. Theranos admitted to regulators that they threw away all Edison test results from 2014 and 2015, avoiding tens of thousands of tests. It's nearly impossible to quantify exactly how many patients may have received erroneous results that were mistakenly acted on, but it's undoubtedly became a problem. In one case, a plaintiff that went by RC had blood drawn to monitor his annual heart health. The Theranos results were normal and led to RC's doctor recommending his current medication regime and return in a year for another test. A month later, RC suffered a heart attack that required two stents. RC's suit alleges that these normal test results from Theranos were inaccurate. So had RC's cardiologist been able to accurately monitor his cholesterol and blood sugar, this may have been prevented. In another case published by the Wall Street Journal, Mr. Hammonds, a retired marketer in Peoria, Arizona, had heart surgery. Subsequently, Theranos' September 2015 tests showed that his blood was taking more than six times longer to clot. He visited Theranos five times in six weeks and his results were so varied that his doctor took him off warfarin which by the way is a blood thinner and switched Hammonds to a less potent medicine. 
Another patient in Arizona, Ms. Toy, had a Theranos test that showed her as being at risk of becoming diabetic. So she changed her entire lifestyle. She changed up her diet, exercise, lost 15 pounds, and continued taking routine blood tests. Yet her hemoglobin A1C level used to diagnose diabetes only went up. Both she and Palav Sharda, an entrepreneur from California, received abnormally high hemoglobin A1C levels from Theranos, whereas repeat tests put them in the normal range. Another patient was even scared into thinking that she had a rare adrenal tumor based on the high estrogen hormones in her blood, which shouldn't happen as she was postmenopause. Theranos put her through hell and massive stress, all for nothing. Follow-up tests elsewhere revealed the estrogen hormones were so low they couldn't even be measured. As if it wasn't obvious the harm and damage and fraud that had been committed, especially after these patient lawsuits were filed, Holmes wouldn't be beaten. In August, 2016, she unveiled a mini lab, a device that according to Theranos could run up to 40 tests on small amounts of blood. Basically, she was trying to sell the patented technology that she'd been pushing so hard for in the first place. Holmes herself couldn't own or operate the device, but Theranos was trying to sell it to hospitals and clinics despite it not having been studied by a third party or approved by the FDA. Sort of the story, the Theranos story was all about this one pinprick that would let you do comprehensive blood testing. Yeah. That was the story. Yeah, well, well, I, I think this is what we sort of need to dissect a little bit. So when you look at Theranos, Theranos makes devices. We make chemistries, we make consumables, we make software, and we have a little too- Considering Theranos and Holmes's record with revolutionary technology, I think it's safe to say that this didn't exactly work out. Instead, by year's end, they had patients, companies, and investors alike coming after them. In October, 2016, Theranos Investor Partner Fund Management sued for $96.1 million, accusing them of securities fraud. This was later settled in May, 2017 for an undisclosed amount. Walgreens came after Theranos the following month in November for a breach of contract, which was also settled in 2017. Walgreens attempted to recover the full $140 million they put into the company, but in the end, they settled for around 30 million. The more that was revealed about Theranos, the worse Walgreens looked for basically failing to do any due diligence about Theranos in the first place. Apparently a John Hopkins University scientist was supposed to put the Edison device in their Baltimore laboratory to verify the tech, but Holmes never provided him with one. A year after the encounter in 2012, two executives and Paul Rust, a retired Quest Diagnostics executive, went on a trip to review Theranos' quality control data. It was a very strange situation, Rust recalls of the one day visit. The results were actually very good, but I was never allowed to go into the lab. I have no idea that the results I saw were run on the Edison devices or not. Mr. Rust says he was led to believe that they were being run on the Edison. Later, he asked Walgreens executives if they had been granted access to Theranos's lab. Much to my surprise, the Walgreens people themselves had not been in the lab, says Mr. Rust. One 2016 Wall Street Journal article breaks down how, time and time again, Walgreens did not seem to take quality control seriously. They didn't compare results from a Theranos machine to commercially available tests. They made multiple concessions to Theranos and allowed them to run as independent operations. Theranos was far too unchecked, to say the least. Theranos settled in 2017 with the CMS and the Arizona Attorney General, Mark Brovenich as well. The settlement itself states that many of Theranos' statements and advertisements, as we've gone over, were false and misleading, and they had to void many, if not all, of the tests they'd done. Theranos ran over 40 testing centers in Walgreens stores and only four non-Walgreens testing centers within the Phoenix area, so that's quite a few tests. Theranos agreed to pay back $4.65 million as part of a settlement deal. However, even through investors, Walgreens and patients were pursuing Theranos. One party had not yet, though, the legal system. 
Elizabeth Holmes on the stand in her fraud trial today. Cross-examination by the government that's been building its case against the Theranos founder for months. Federal prosecutors grilled her, shooting pointed questions at Holmes, trying to pick up... In March 2018, the Securities and Exchange Commission charged Holmes and Balwani with massive fraud involving more than $700 million in total. Elizabeth faced 11 charges of defrauding patients, doctors, and investors specifically. Around this time, John Carreru, who broke the 2015 Wall Street Journal article, also released a book called Bad Blood on the Topic. In it, he alleged that Holmes had been a fraudster, not just in terms of her company, but even how she presented herself. Her deep baritone voice was supposedly faked, leaving some to wonder if nothing was off limits for Holmes to lie about, especially considering the defense Holmes started piecing together with her attorneys. She began pinning the fraud on her ex, Sonny, and claimed that he'd been emotionally, verbally, and physically abusive. According to The Guardian, Holmes said that she wasn't responsible for the decisions she made as the head of the company because her mind had been impaired by manipulation. Citing the syndrome known as intimate partner abuse, her lawyers claim Mr. Balwani was controlling with Ms. Holmes and Ms. Holmes was isolated by Mr. Balwani and that Mr. Balwani was combative with Ms. Holmes and that Mr. Balwani was often physically present in Ms. Holmes' office, all tactics that are abuse tactics used by abusers. He withdrew affection if she displeased him, controlled what she ate, how she dressed, how much money she could spend, who she could interact with. He also threw hard, sharp objects at her and controlled her sleep, lawyers have said. Balwani's lawyers claimed that the statements were outrageous and plenty of opinion pieces floating around seemed to agree. Many found it pretty hard to believe Holmes's allegations after everything she'd done. After all, even if she had been manipulated, how could she genuinely believe that the Edison worked as she claimed until 2016? Unfortunately, there were no answers to be had right away as trials were delayed multiple times over. Despite Theranos as a company shutting its doors a few months after Holmes was arrested, her criminal trial was delayed by the pandemic in 2020, and in 2021, it was delayed because of the birth of her son in July. A month later, jury selection started and the criminal trial of Elizabeth Holmes began. Throughout the following months, more information about the extent of Holmes's lies were released. Back in 2012, Theranos signed a $75,000 contract with the U.S. Army to work on the development of a field-stable lab set. Only a third of the money was dispersed and the contract ended in early 2013. However, Holmes told any investor that would listen how Theranos tech was used in military helicopters. Investor Brian Tolbert testified that this was one of the very reasons he invested in the first place. And I don't want to victim blame here, so please do not take it this way. This is more of me just questioning or being perhaps a bit quizzical. While I do believe that Theranos is the main character in the wrong here, I just don't know why someone wouldn't even try to confirm the information before investing tens of million dollars into a company. Like maybe this is just like uber rich people shit and I just don't get it. But like, even when I go to the store and someone's like, do you wanna round up to donate to this charity? I'm like, no because I want to go home and read about that charity myself first to verify that, like, I think my money is going to a good place. So if there's really these multimillionaires running around just giving away millions of dollars for random investments because someone said pretty words, it's no wonder that Holmes, Anna Delvey, and Billy McFarland have all been grouped together in like this grifter trifecta as of late. Their bluffing skills are incredible, and it's not a compliment, but it starts to make sense how all of these other scammers can keep scamming. People apparently just give away millions of dollars if you know how to say really fluffy, beautiful words. Whistleblower Erica Shung, who reported Theranos to the CMS, testified about how the device did not work at trial. She has since become an advocate for ethics in healthcare and founded the nonprofit Ethics and Entrepreneurship as a result. 
When Holmes took the stand in her own defense though, she claimed that she had been a true believer of Theranos Tech and her decisions had been misunderstood. According to the New York Times, her lawyer, Kevin Downey, attempted to paint Holmes as a well-meaning entrepreneur whose actions to protect her company were twisted by prosecutors as fraud. She never meant to deceive anyone, even if, according to prosecutors, she was knowingly making up stories about how Theranos devices were used on the battlefield and for soldiers. In addition, Holmes personally added pharmaceutical company logos to Theranos reports to give them an air of legitimacy when it was just not true. Ultimately though, regardless of intent, Holmes needed to be accountable for the wrongful acts she did purposefully commit. And on January 4th of 2022, just this year, just literally week and a half ago, Holmes was found guilty on four of 11 counts against her. One count of conspiracy to defraud investors, as well as three wire fraud counts tied to specific investors. She faces up to 20 years in prison and a fine of $250,000 plus restitution for each count. This once beloved iconic Silicon Valley founder trying to make the world a better place was exposed as a fraud. Some experts believe that her allegations of abuse may not work in her favor during sentencing either, though Balwani's own fraud trial has now been delayed by the COVID surge. We'll have to wait for more information when his trial takes place. At least we finally have a guilty verdict, even if at the moment there's not much else. It is at least a good start to the end. So with that being said, I wanna thank you so much for being here to the end of today's Multi-Level Mondays episode. Hope you enjoyed it, learned something new, got a more concise and thorough A to Z, start to finish kind of look at Theranos. This is a company I've wanted to cover for months, but knowing with the upcoming trial at the time when I was looking at it last year, I really wanted to wait until after the trial had ended. So the second it was done, we kind of got to finally finish up, put the last finishing touches on and get this off so we can get out to you. So I hope you did enjoy it. And if you did, make sure you're liking, following and subscribing so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes. If you wanna connect with me outside of these episodes, make sure to check out all of my social media, other YouTube channels, other projects I'm involved in. Links will be in the description box. Thank you so much for being a part of today's episode, hanging out, spending some of your valuable time with me. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye.